Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and tonight, today, whatever time you're listening to this, we are discussing Cube from 1997. Directed by Vincenzo Natali, written by Andre Bijelik, Gram Manson, and Vincenzo Natali. Starring Nicole DeBoer, Maurice Dean Wint, Nikki Guadagni, David Hewlett, and Andrew Miller. Uh, this movie is about uh, six strangers who wake up in a maze with no memory of how they got there, and they must work together to find a way out. And this is a request from my good friend Matt from high school. Sorry we sat on this request for so long, Matt, but thanks for recommending it, and I'll read some of Matt's thoughts on the movie when we get to the review portion later in the episode. Ashwin, had you even heard of this? Nah, I had never heard of it, have you? I think I had, and the like. cover looks familiar, probably from video stores, because this was 1997. Yeah, the cover kind of reminds me of like every 90s movie cover, just like some dudes and like something kind of abstract in the background. Yeah, it was 90s in a lot of ways, this movie. Yeah, yeah. I know. What was it about the 90s? Like, uh, you had these kind of existential movies with, like, some level of, like, deep thinking or critical, like, emo, paranormal, uh, paranoid government conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, yeah, it really was. That was, like, kind of an age. Like, I feel like a group came of age with that. Maybe, like, the generation right before us. Oh, yeah, that could be it. They were, like, hitting their, like, teens or... uh, Early 20s and 30s, and that was, like, the big thing to do? Yeah, was, I feel like they were just kind of like a... I feel like they've been called the slacker generation, but... Oh, yeah. I don't know that they really are, but it was just, like, a general, like, mood of disenfranchise or disenchantedness. Yeah, Disenchantment. Yeah. Right, anti-government uh, establishment, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, do you think it all culminated with Eminem? <laughs> <laughs> See the height of, like, everything that embodies us? That was like, I feel like that was the cusp of generations. Like, oh, yeah. The generation who was like into Cube was into Nirvana. Oh, sure. And then like Eminem was <laughs> the shifting. Because we're like, <laughs> technically, I don't know who comes up with these definitions, but you and I, we're 36, but I think we're considered millennials. Yeah, I think so. But we're yeah. like the oldest millennials there are. The or- Oregon Trail uh, millennials, I think. Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's probably about right yeah yeah uh yeah yeah there was something about that time like you don't see movies like this or capturing this type of um attitude anymore it's very unique yeah yeah dude do you remember a computer game called odell lake where you were like a fish eating fish and you get bigger <laughs> no, i don't remember that right. was this was this on like a pc or something i think it was on max like oh, okay. The first computers we had in our school computer lab were Macs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The ones like with the big like plastic. Uh, or was this the Mac with like the the hard drive or the, like the the soft well, the floppy disk drive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was like computers that looked like computers from the eighties, like big, yeah. boxy, like that weird beigeish color. Oh yeah, yeah. Those that was a cool design. I miss that. <laughs> yeah, I miss it too. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, so. This is kind of a a familiar genre, and I don't think it was maybe as familiar when it came out, but like Escape Room and Haunt from last year, like people trapped in a place trying to get out and like solving puzzles almost. Right, yeah, very similar. Like it definitely had like Escape Room vibes. 
Yeah. Um, and did you see a platform that came out like a few months ago on Netflix? I have not seen that, but a lot of people in our Discord have been talking about that. Yeah, like similar premise. Like you kind of just wake up in a, in a place and you have to like figure out how to get out of there or like make sense of it. Right. I feel like I've seen more movies like that, but I can't even think of them right now. Yeah. Oh, I guess like Saw kind of had that, right? Yeah, for sure. Saw's, Saw's definitely like that. Yeah. It's a cool, yeah. cool premise. Yeah. Um, so this, apparently we had not really heard of it that much, but it's got two sequels. Well, a sequel and a prequel. Yeah, those, it seems like, I, I don't think a lot of people thought those were up to par as uh, the original, were they? It sounds like they got pretty negative reviews, yeah. 2002 yeah. saw Cube 2 Hypercube, and then the prequel was in 2004 called Cube Zero. And do you know if... Uh, sounds Vin- thirst quenching. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, Vincenzo even a part of those? I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. I should have looked into those. Yeah, I got the impression he might not have like been uh, the director for those, but I don't know. Mm. That's a check. Okay. Um, there was apparently a remake too in development, but it's kind of on hold. Yeah, yeah. That's sounds that's like it'll shame. never happen. Yeah, I don't know if this movie like needs to be remade. I feel like it's still. No. Uh, yeah, yeah, kind of. I mean, you can't really improve the acting at all. <laughs> you can't. And like a cube's a cube, like twenty years later too. That's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> th- yeah, there's a lot of math in this movie. Yeah, did you see, like, uh, the whole, like, idea of it was, like, backed by some, like, mathematician? Yeah, like, he, David W. Pravika, like, conceived of this cube, and then he was, like, the film's math consultant. Yeah. (laughs) There's, like, actual math in the movie. Yeah, like, apparently it holds up, like, a lot of the theories and stuff, uh, which, like, that that was, like, a walk down memory lane, like, prime numbers, and then uh, they were doing some other, like, factoring or something. Yeah, yeah, and then remember that one time we were stuck in a cube? Yeah, yeah, totally brought that up, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's this long blurb of, like, the math of the cube that was on Wikipedia, and I can't decide if I want to read it or not. Oh. Uh, Why, is it pretty long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. (laughs) Maybe maybe I'll get into it later. All right, yeah, yeah, I was kind of hoping you could, like, dumb it down and uh, explain it to me as an accountant. Uh, yeah. Accountants don't do as much math as people think they do. Yeah. Is, is it all computers? It's more like just organizing things and oh, methodology. Sure. sure. Yeah, I guess it's more about the rules. Yeah. Things. It's all about um, rules. Speaking of accountants, did you see the original scripts had, uh, so there were, what, like six people or six, seven cast members in this? Yeah, they were all supposed to be accountants. <laughs> yeah. I thought of you on that. That was not cool. Yeah, that's pretty Keep boring. Full of <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, like maybe somebody told him, like, dude, accountants actually really don't know math, know math that well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? I thought they know them. <laughs> <laughs> Back someone's, to the drawing board. Yeah. Someone's bubble got burst. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Oh, all the characters' names uh, were connected to a real-world prison? Mm-hmm. That might have been, it sounded like earlier in the script they were supposed to be prisoners. Oh, they were also... Mm-hmm. that might have been a, a leftover of that draft of the script. Yeah, it's really interesting how the script evolved. Like, I, I know, like, earlier on, there was supposed to be, like, a monster at some point. There's, like, I talk of, like, cannibalism. And they, like, really, like, took everything out and made this, like, really minimalist based on the original concepts, which is surprising. Yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like he took it to one of his writing partners, like Vincenzo had the concept, and they were like, you got to strip this down to the most basic premise here. Yeah. So that's, crazy. that's an interesting thing. I've been like researching screenwriting more lately, just uh-huh. like reading about it and listening to podcasts about it. And I just listened to a podcast about two writers who work together, and it's just, it seems like it would be so hard to write with somebody, but I yeah. can see the benefit with things like that. I guess. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool they stripped this down and like brought it to like the math core, and, and uh, you know, it's still like a pretty powerful uh, like elements that, that are going on here. But I, I don't know, like some of like what they walked back. Uh, I, yeah, I guess I wonder if, like, uh, it could have been a way different movie if they had done some of those ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to picture some of those. Some of those ideas make it seem like um, Annihilation. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Where, do you think do you feel like that was, like, a little jam-packed or something? I felt like that was a little bit messy, that yeah. movie. I yeah. might be in the minority there. No, I mean that's a good comparison because yeah, like uh, this one, they, I think they really stripped it down and stayed core to like one element with like it had like a lot of uh, room for discussion and stuff. Yeah, that's good. Um, so yeah, these characters are trapped inside of a cube. Um, well, if you're having trouble visualizing it, it's like a giant cube made up of a bunch of inner cubes, like kind of like a Rubik's cube, except instead of just square stickers on the outside those are actual cubes that compose a bigger cube right right and the way they shot it was just they only built one cube but it had sliding panels that made it look different colors oh right yeah So like they could act like they were in a new cube but it was just the one from before and they changed all the colors yeah and they had one partial cube for shots where they were looking from the cube into another (laughs) cube which was just like rooms of the larger cube yeah yeah that's pretty um, smart. I almost felt like it, because like the set is so minimal, this felt like a like a Broadway or like a theater production in a way. It did a little bit. I mean, it's really, I mean, the puzzle and the the cube and them being trapped moves the plot forward, but it's really just a drama between the characters. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Three hundred fifty thousand budget. Yeah, and it. I think it's done pretty well, right? Uh, nine million was the the. Uh, Worldwide box office, right? So for like so a low for three hundred fifty thousand, yeah. right? It's yeah. pretty decent. And, you know, it this movie had some issues for sure, but for three hundred fifty thousand, it, it looked pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I know. And like you hear about like Halloween on a hundred and a hundred thousand or something, but this was nineteen ninety seven. Like three hundred fifty thousand was yeah a lot a lot uh, less money than it was in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, I couldn't find too much cool background on this movie. How about you? What else you got? Well, uh, did you notice the guy who did the music for this did the music for The Witch and the Lighthouse? No way, really? Yeah, isn't that crazy? Because there's barely like any music in this. After I like finished all my notes, I was like, I really should have looked up who did the music for this. Yeah, I was I was really surprised. Uh, that guy, he, yeah, was around in the, in like the '90s doing this, which is crazy. Well, that's not surprising because the music in The Witch in the Lighthouse is really sparse, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. It's actually, more like almost sound effects, especially in The Lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's it's almost, he's the guy who like made up an instrument or something, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. He's, he's not it's like It's funny because the music was most prominent when they did these like little interlude montages of time passing within oh, the cube. Yeah. Like when they'd like take a rest or something and it was... 
it sounded like Enya or something. It was like very <laughs> 90s new age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the camera would like spin in circles. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, And the yeah. vocals were just like... Oh, yeah. Like an echo effect. Yeah. Yeah. That part yeah. was kind of there, funny. There's a lot to make fun of in this movie, but but there's uh, there's some good stuff in here too. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and then uh, this guy he did in the Tall Grass. Did you did you ever see that movie? Oh yeah, man. I I haven't seen that. Um, oh. And he did some episodes of Lock and Key, which I've heard people talk about, even though I don't know anything about it. Oh, cool. Hmm. Did you see in the Tall Grass? Uh, I did, and you know, I think when you watch it, like you'll see a lot of similarities between the story uh, in the okay. Cube and in the Tall Grass. And that's a Stephen King story, right? Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's it's so weird because this guy wrote The Cube, and I feel like the story of In the Tall Grass is very similar to The Cube. So it's it's surprising that that was actually written by Stephen King. Um, oh, interesting. I feel like thematically they kind of hit on some of the same elements. Gotcha. Um, and actually the woman who played Holloway, Nikki Gordani, mm-hmm. oh boy, I'm not pronouncing her name correctly, <laughs> played uh, Aunt Helene in Ready or Not. Did you see that? Oh like no! A I didn't crazy old aunt. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Oh yeah. my god, that's cool. Uh, it's isn't it interesting that they've got like such uh, unique last names, but they're all Canadian. Yeah, I, I felt like Italy had to be involved somewhere in here, but it doesn't seem <laughs> like it. <laughs> I know. When I was looking at the cast, I figured this was like a foreign film or something, which I guess it is, but it's Canadian. It's not. Uh, it was shot in Toronto, and I feel like I don't know for a fact, but just from the one time I was in Toronto, it seemed very diverse. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same. Toronto is like a, yeah, super diverse. It's kind of like a New York City almost. Right, right. It felt like a, uh, like the diversity of a big city, but not as, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like sectioned off. Yeah, like more like integrated or kind of flowing yeah. into each other. Yeah. 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 I, I like Toronto a lot. Um, yeah, it was cool. I want to go back. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Hey, uh, one thing uh, I, I I know I asked you uh, if this was streaming somewhere. Uh, I actually found it. It's it's on it's for free on YouTube. I'm not sure if you. Oh you really? That. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a commercial every now and then for like five seconds, but otherwise it's uh, it's all on YouTube if someone wants to stream it. I wonder how that happened. Yeah, I know it's super weird. Huh. Hopefully it was the right version. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I saw a different movie. <laughs> Uh, you saw the fart monster at the end, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I think that's I don't want to give a spoiler away too soon, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so shall I move on to the Ohio connection? You got yeah. any other good snippets? Yeah, let's hear it. Um, so from our friend Alex, uh, the lead actress from Cube. <laughs> Uh, is Nicole DeBoer. She was in a 2009 rock and roll vampire comedy horror film called Suck. One of her co-stars in that film was musician Alice Cooper. In mm-hmm. addition to being a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland and owning the bar and restaurant Cooperstown for many years in Cleveland's Gateway District, he will be playing a virtual concert for a cause this Wednesday via a local Fox station with more artists, including Joan Jett, Ben Folds, and others. So that ben will Foltz? already happen by the... Oh, and people listen to this. Oh, okay. Yeah, Ben Folds and Alice Cooper go hand in hand. Yeah, that's so random. Man, is it just me he or do you He was all... the brick he was singing about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sinking slowly or what was it? Uh, fall, drowning fall. slowly? Oh, yeah, drowning slowly, yeah. <laughs> um, is it just me or do all of Budin's Ohio connections have like multi-layer connections 
to Ohio. I feel like there are like three or four ways he connects like the same thing. Yeah, yeah. He's good at what he does. That's why yeah. we've hired him for yeah. zero dollars. Super impressive. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah, if you live in Northeast Ohio, go check out uh, Alex's bar and restaurant, Jukebox. Uh, currently, they are serving beer and wine like a drive through situation. So go get yourself some drinks to get you through these tough times. And uh, anything else, Ash, before we start going into the plot and spoiling some things other than the fart monster? No, let's get to it. All right. Uh, can you hold on for one second, though? I'm, I'm really thirsty. I'm going to go grab some water. Oh, sure. All right. Be right back. All right. Hey, man. I'm back. Hey, you get some water? Yeah. Uh, no, actually. I, I tried to get out of the closet and leave the room, and then I just went through some other rooms in my house and ended up back here. So. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that happened, but I popped a button off my shirt, and I was just going to suck on that for a while. Oh, yeah. I heard that's a typical, like a standard survival technique. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that's apparently a myth. Oh. I, I'd never heard that before. Why would you suck a button? It doesn't make any sense to me on its face. It's The guy, uh, Ren, the character in this movie, his justification was that it gets your saliva flowing, which it probably oh. does, but to what end? Yeah, that doesn't really like hydrate you at all, right? Yeah. Um, I thought maybe like the clothes were made out of like something edible, and that's what he was getting at. Like, hey, the buttons like are uh, like made from like something that's supposed to hydrate you. But oh. I guess not. Yeah, water yeah. buttons. Yeah. Hey, that's that's a good idea, actually. Imagine if you get thirsty, you just pop off a button. You got, you got it right there. <laughs> Dude, where are all your clothes? I got hungry. <laughs> and thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> got to eat. Um, so this movie starts off with the, uh, the hook, if you will, is just this dude wakes up. He's kind of in a uniform, like a, almost looks like a prison uniform. It's very drab, like one color. Yep. Um, he wakes up in this cubic room. And he moves, opens the door, and heads into the next cube, I think. And he just, we see him, like, his eyes get big, and he gets sliced into a bunch of cubes himself. Yeah. Um, and his body just gorily falls apart into all these little pieces. Yeah. And then we, we get the title, Cube. I thought that was, a, that was a cool opener. It's really cool. They throw you, like, right into it, and you're just like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, it was a very intriguing first, like, minute of a movie. It was effective. Yeah, yeah. And it's weird. Like, did you see the, uh, like, the things that cut him up? Like, they, they don't really show up until after they cut him up, right? Yeah, that was a little weird. Um, some of the digital effects were okay, but they, yeah. they worked. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought the the practical effect of, like, uh, him getting cut up, that was pretty impressive. Yeah, the gore looked good. There's another gory scene coming up that, that looked pretty good. Yeah. Um, so after we get our movie title sequence, we cut to our main characters. It's pretty much the same situation, except they're mostly together. If not, they, they encounter each other soon. They all essentially just wake up in the cube and don't know how they got there. Mm -hmm. Um, so we go through everyone explaining who they are. We've got Ren, who's a prison, they like later put a piece it together that he's this famous prisoner who's escaped like seven 
prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of the one giving tips along the way, tells them all to suck their buttons. Uh, <laughs> you can go suck your buttons. <laughs> There's Quentin, who's a cop. Levin, who's a student. Should we get the vibe she's either high school or college? Yeah, I thought of high school, but yeah, I, I couldn't tell towards the end. Yeah. And Holloway, who is a public doctor, that's all she really says. And she kind of turns out to be a bit of a conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And Worth, who describes himself as just a guy in an office. He's kind of like the cynic who doesn't seem very excited about life. <laughs> yep. And I don't think Kazan is there right off the bat, but they bump into him shortly. Um, he's an intellectually disabled dude, and he's kind of a source of tension between Holloway and Quentin. Yeah. Yeah, right. He's. I think Quentin sees him as like a liability early on. Yeah, yeah, and it's a very like every every character represents a certain outlook on life, or maybe even like a political affiliation, if you will. Right. Which kind of, it's a very like Night of the Living Dead setup. Everybody's trapped in this place from different backgrounds and outlooks, and that translates into conflict and how they go forward to make decisions and yeah, conflict escalates, etc. Yeah. Right. Though, I mean, like, early on, I feel like it sets up uh, Quentin. He's kind of like the leader, right? Or he's kind of, like, get, getting people motivated to, like, we got to get out of here. He is, yeah. And he's the one who's kind of, like, leading the charge to, like, we've got to move. Right, yep. Uh, and I think uh, Levin, if I remember correctly, is kind of trying to advocate for just staying in the room that they're in. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so they decide to move even though they're, they know that there are traps because Quentin says he's seen one. It, it, it's implied that like some of them were in other rooms and they, they stumbled upon each other in this one room. Yeah. Um, and they use boots, like the boots they were wearing. They tie them together with laces and then throw the boot into the room. And if the boot gets sliced up or attacked by a fart monster, they know there's a trap in that room. <laughs> yep. Um, there's also like frequent tremors in the cube. Like, it's kind of like shaking and loud rumbling noises. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't tell what these were. Like, I kind of assumed, like, something's coming after them, but, like, way in the distance or something. I don't know. What did you make of it? I made of it what it was, but we'll reveal that later. Okay. Uh, That was one of the things that irked me. It felt too easy. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But as they're going from, you know, cubic room to cubic room, like the little cubes... They notice a numbering system on each of the doors, like nine-digit numbers grouped into threes. Um, eventually, Ren, this prison escape artist, goes into a room, and th- their theory is they're motion sensors. Mm-hmm. But he goes into this room. The boot like didn't activate anything, and he goes in and realizes that I think it was a sound detector, yeah, I sound th- activated. I think so. Yep. So he gets sprayed in the face with acid and then climb, they like pull him back into the room they're in and his face essentially just melts in on itself. Yeah. Um, which was a cool effect. It was cool gore. Yeah, I thought that looked really cool. Yeah. It's just like a, a shell of a face. Right. Yeah. Pretty good for acid. And, yeah. Yeah. And they learn, then Levin, kind of the student, reveal, reveals herself to be a bit of a math genius and she's got this theory now that any door that's marked with prime numbers is a trap. Yeah. So they proceed through the cube using this logic. Um, and things are going fairly well. At some point, 
there's some like inner conflict in the group, obviously, just for random reasons here and there. And at some point, the dude who is like the cynic who works in the office admits that he helped build the exterior of the cube. And he said he didn't know what it was. Like nobody who was working on it knew what it was or what it was for. And they get in like a pretty deep discussion here on like why it exists or like uh, who built it. Or, and I feel like he's like talking about how like everyone did their own parts. And so they're never like talking to each other and know what their purpose was. And like he, he's even like, we're here because like this was made. And like if we weren't here, then it would be pointless to have this or something. Which I, say, I feel like it was getting a little philosoph- uh, philosophical here or existential maybe. Yeah, it certainly was. And I kind of have interpreted his argument as like, mindless bureaucracy like well they built it so now they got to use it yeah yeah and more of like a i guess there'd be a deeper philosophical like it's here so that's why we're here right (laughs) but his was more like they built it so now they feel they got to use it yeah yeah that and then i think it also hits on like uh the theme of people not like taking responsibility for what they're doing and just like being uh focused on like paychecks and stuff or whatever and I, i think they have that conversation too in this yeah, and this is where Holloway comes in with her like big conspiracy theories and starts ranting about the military industrial complex. <laughs> yeah. Um and like Quentin just like is he's kind of seems like the more like conservative, like blue collar type guy. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks it's just ridiculous and then um Worth, the guy who helped build the outer part of the cube, his argument against to her is more like it's not like that well planned. It's just a headless monster monster right. with all the pieces working in the way that works best for each of them, like yeah. as individuals. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, so there's definitely a lot of commentary on humanity and like human organizations and government and yep, any kind of bureaucracy, really. Yeah, I, I like that. I think they were like trying to debate like, uh, is there a purpose to this or is this just like how the world is and how like uh, societies like uh, function, I guess. But yeah. it, was, it was a really interesting uh, debate. And I think at this point, like, Quentin's getting, like, pretty aggravated. Yeah, he starts getting pretty pissed at all of them. Yeah. He almost seemed like the more most optimistic at first. Yeah. And then became, like, pretty angry and, like, a pretty big jerk as the movie went along. Yeah, he kind of, like, started changing quick. I, I, I forget what the trigger was. I mean, was it, like, that one room he accidentally went into, which they thought was safe, and he actually got cut? Was it like after that that he like kind of starts to become pissed at everyone? Yeah, I think it was after that because around this time, yeah, Levin says this one's fine, and he goes in and gets cut, like he almost dies in the trap. Yeah, right. Um, which so then Levin has to rethink things, but yeah, and then um, oh shit, what was I gonna say? I think they're also touching upon like maybe I don't know, but it's almost like whether people are good as individuals and bad as a group or like mm-hmm. Quentin is kind of like, Oh yeah, it's fine. Like the government is just a bunch of guys like me trying to do the best they can. And right. he's got like a positive outlook on things like that. But then he like hates every individual that he's with here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Holloway is like, Oh, everything's a conspiracy. Like everyone's against you. Like, yeah. Uh, it's all part of the plan, big brother, et cetera. But she's more caring about the individual people she's with. And she's the one defending Kazan, the intellectually disabled person, when Quentin's like, get him out of here. He's dead weight. Yeah. I wonder if that's like a capitalist versus like a socialist approach or something or some commentary on different like government approaches or ideologies. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like it could be. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah, they, 
they do, Holloway does get hurt, or no, Quentin, the cop, gets hurt, and Levin rethinks things. I think she realizes that it's not prime numbers, it's powers of prime numbers. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. That might not even be at this point yet. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and they, or no, what she realizes is that they are coordinates. Right, yeah, I think at that's At this a, point. Mm-hmm. The, the numbers are coordinates as to where the individual cube is within the cube as a whole. Right. And I think the information that um, Worth gives that he helped work on the, the shell of the cube helps her figure it out. Like he knows the dimensions of the, the exterior. Yeah, so they know like it's only 26 cubes uh, long or something. Right. Right. Right, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, wait. It was like 17,576 rooms though. Uh, yeah, but that's cubed. So like uh, twenty. That's I think that's twenty six cubed. Is that seven? Oh right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Um. See, accountants don't know math. <laughs> you got it. Um. So anyway, they use that knowledge to find what they think is the outside of the cube. Mm-hmm. Um, and they find the door. And it leads to this exterior, but they can't, like, bridge the gap from the space between the inner cube and that edge of the outer shell. It's almost like an elevator shaft around the entire cube. Mm-hmm. And Holloway goes out there on a rope that they make out of their own clothes. She tries to bridge the gap, but she can't, and she almost falls. And then, at the last minute, Quentin grabs her and pulls her back up. And he's got her by the hand, and they lock eyes, and then he just drops her. And this is kind Which of where... Was, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, you. Oh, I mean, like, I feel like this was, like, the biggest turning point for Quentin. Or, like, this is kind of where we knew he was, like, a pretty bad dude. Yep, he was a bad dude. And they, like, got into a pretty big argument right before this happened, and she kind of predicted his whole life just from his behavior. Like, she's like, oh, no wonder you're divorced, like... Yeah, I bet you loved the loved the young women and probably hit your kids like. Yeah. Not as on the nose as that, but kind of. And then he like smacks her, right? Yeah. Yep. He smacks her pretty hard, and I think then he later reveals he thought she somehow had inside information on him. Oh yeah, I think he gets like in his head and he's kind of losing it. Yeah. Um, so the rest of the group doesn't see that though. They just think he dropped her on accident. Yeah, but I feel like they're losing faith in him because I know he like punched that Worth guy a few times, right. and like they saw her like hit that woman. So I think Levin is also like uh, not crazy about him. And I I don't know like I think as the viewer like some of what you're seeing like kind of attributes like oh he's just really stressed or something. But then I feel like when he like purposefully like lets uh, Holloway go and like kills her, then you kind of know like that yeah, he's just like this malicious dude. Right. Right. So things are definitely breaking down in the group now, um, and they eventually make their way back to the original room. They know this because Levin had broken her glasses in this room, and she steps on a piece of glass. Mm -hmm. Um, Holloway then accidentally, God, I keep calling him Holloway, Quentin eventually, like, accidentally admits that he killed Holloway, like, dropped her on purpose. He, like, makes a sexual advance on Levin, and it's like, you and me can do this. Like, let's ditch them. And then he starts beating the crap crap out of Worth when Worth tries to stop his creepy advances. Right. Um, So everything's falling apart here. And then 
I think we kind of get out of this situation because Levin now realizes that the prime numbers aren't the indicator of a trap. It's powers of prime numbers. And she's like screaming at Quentin, like, I could never figure that out in my head. Like, I can't do it. Yeah. And then Hazan reveals himself to be like, or Hazan? Kazan? Kazan, yeah. Reveals himself to be a savant. And he's just like rattling off. She gives him these huge numbers and he's like telling her if it's a a power of a prime or not. Yeah, I totally lost uh, the math on this one. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was just like, okay, I kind of get what's happening, but I don't really know. <laughs> the the uh, the other big reveal here, though, is that uh, the cubes themselves were also moving or rotating. Yeah, and, and that's what that noise was the whole time. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, which was my beef, because like, how do they know like the prime numbers are traps? Oh, it's powers of prime numbers. Oh, these are coordinates for where we are in the cube, <laughs> but they don't know the giant rumbling they're hearing yeah. is the cube shifting and moving i don't know that you like you that's what you guessed from the beginning yeah oh damn i didn't i, th- I thought it was a monster a fart monster <laughs> <laughs> i mean that was the number two yeah uh or like some kind of construction going on outside uh, yeah yeah just men at work yeah just men at work building more cubes um they also um at some point she had done a calculation that made her think that the cube they were in was outside of the rest of the cubes she was like oh that's wrong and then this new knowledge that they've gained makes them realize that that was right and that there has to be a bridge cube that bridges the gap between the inner shell and the outer shell yeah and they know that there's only one door because of what Worth knows about the outer shell. So they just have to read the numbers and know the coordinates and where they're going to be moving to know which cube is going to be the bridge cube and when it's going to be in front of the door. That seems pretty easy. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just some physics and math. So they kind of put a uh, put the gas pedal on and they're going for it. And with Kazan like doing the quick calculations, they're getting pretty fast. And then... They end up, it was kind of out of nowhere, Worth ends up like pinning Quentin's head in one of the doors and telling Kazan and Levin to like sprint for it. So they kind of like temporarily physically, de- like, what's the word? <laughs> Deca- <laughs> Decapacitate? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so tired. <laughs> kind of. Incapacitate it. Quentin. Yeah, and, and they like drop him in that uh, a door, right? Right, yeah, yeah, they drop him one room down. Yeah, because I think it got to a point where, like, he was just uh, straight up, like, threatening them and, like, beating them all up, and, like, there was no way to escape him, so, uh, yeah. Right, it was like, he's going to kill one of us next. Yeah, right, so they had to, like, take him out. Um, Right, so he's not dead or anything, he's just pretty badly hurt, and they've got a pretty good lead on him. Um, I thought... And they finally... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I I thought he was dead when he fell down uh, that... That one, uh, the ground one. Did you... Oh, yeah, he did have a bunch of blood pooling by his head. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. Um, so the three of them, Worth, Kazan, and Levin, finally make it to the bridge cube, um, and the door opens, and they see this bright white light, and they're going to exit, and Worth hesitates to leave because he feels like he has nothing to live for on the outside, <laughs> which uh, was a little silly. Yeah, at yeah. At this point, I know. Like you've been going through this cube for like an hour or two, and you, yeah. you got there, and now you're having like doubts about. <laughs> And you know, like, time is a factor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then while he, him and Levin are having this, like, you know, pump-up talk, Levin just gets stabbed um, by Quentin, who's essentially, I think, taking one of the door handles and used it to stab her. Yeah, that's what it looked like. 
So she's dead, and then he starts beating Worth like to within an inch of his life. And Kazan is trying to get out of the room, and uh, Quentin grabs his foot, and then Worth grabs Quentin, and he's stuck between like the inner cube, or between the bridge cube and the outside. And then as the bridge cube moves, he essentially just gets torn in half, as if you were like halfway in an elevator when it went down. Right. Um, and then it ends with Worth who crawls next to Levin's dead body and dies himself, and then you see Kazan step into the white light. Which hopefully... You don't really know what he's exiting into. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering. I mean, it's not really defined, I guess. Yeah. Kind of mystery. Yeah, I mean, the, then the movie ends without you ever knowing why they were there or what the cube was. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it doesn't allude to the fact that they had done anything wrong or were criminals in any sense. It, right. Yeah. It's just kind of senseless. Yeah, Yep. Uh, so what did you think? Um, I mean, I enjoyed like all like the 90s uh, stuff throughout the film. I thought that was kind of entertaining. Uh, I, th- I thought these characters were really cool. It was, it was kind of a, it was a fun movie. It was kind of like a puzzle, like being in an escape room. And uh, interesting to see how like all the characters played off each other and how they kind of evolved. But I don't know, sometimes I was wondering if like the character transformations were fully grounded or if they were like starting to happen um, in an unnatural way. Uh, what, what, what was your thought on that? Yeah, um, that, it it did start to feel a bit extreme, and I think a large part of why it was kind of hard to buy was that the dialogue was a little forced and unnatural. Yeah, yeah. And then the acting in, some of the actors I thought actually did a pretty good job, Mm -hmm. but a couple of them I thought were horrible. Which, Um, which ones? The dude that played Quentin. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Maurice Dean Wint, he was like... yeah. He was very one note, and he was just like constantly bug eyed with the same angry expression. Like he just didn't know, <laughs> he didn't know how to play it. Yeah, I know. I had to rewatch the scene where he's asking Levin, like, uh, "Tell me more. There must be more about you. What else?" <laughs> it's just the intensity. Like it never like kind of calmed down, and it just kind of felt right. unnatural. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of always at eleven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then I thought Holloway, the woman who played her, was pretty bad, too. Oh, okay, okay. So She who, was similar, just, like, always strung out. Yeah. So who did you think was a good actor in this? I actually thought that the dude, uh, Worth, was pretty good. Oh, okay. And uh, Levin started out rough, but got better as the movie progressed. Yeah, yeah. And the guy who played Kazan nailed it, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess, yeah. He did a pretty good job. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. not much to do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought the story was really interesting. That did you like that part? I liked the story in terms of like proceeding through the cube and stuff. And I, I, you know, sometimes I get a little sick of the people trapped in a space like at each other's throat drama, like yeah. the Walking Dead type stuff. Yep. Um, where it's like the, I mean, and that's every good movie, like a horror movie, especially, is like the external happenings are fueling like the internal relationship drama. Sure. Yeah. Um. But this one, like you said, it almost feels like a play just because it's such a stark setting. And not not much is going on, really. They're just kind of in this cube with traps. Yeah, yeah. And some like the aggression that like Quentin brings kind of feels out of nowhere sometimes. And, it like, does, yeah. yeah. But I actually did think it was it went pretty well. Like there were some errors for sure, but I kind of I was intrigued by the characters and their philosophies. To yeah. Tell you the truth. Yeah, I know. I feel like there's something like pretty deep there, and some of those conversations, like the meaning of the movie, I feel like uh, it's very really, like open 
uh, ended and up for interpretation. Yeah, yeah, but then at the same time, some stuff was written in there that just didn't make sense. Like, mm-hmm. everybody was so angry at Kazan just for being like, an intellectually disabled person. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, he's coming with this? And, like, they were pissed that he started peeing in the room at one point, and they had said they were in there for 10 hours. <laughs> yeah, where was everyone nobody else? nobody had peed yet? Yeah, where was everyone else peeing? <laughs> was it, did we miss like the pee cube or something yeah <laughs> it happened during a t- 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 oh. <laughs> one of those sequences yeah that, those were the drops hitting the metal floor <laughs> gross uh what, what, what did you feel uh or how did you feel i guess about um the lack of definition or uh clarity in terms of like why they were there who built this what happened at the ending did you feel like that was helpful or would have liked to see I kind of liked that. Like it was because the whole movie was just kind of a discussion about like the nature of humanity and mm-hmm. to reveal it was one specific answer or the other would kind of defeat the purpose to me. Yeah, I, th- I think it is one of those solutions, right? Yeah, yeah one, one of those like endings that would have killed it. Right, right. Did you feel the same way then? I like the open-endedness? I liked it, yeah. I heard like the sequels try to explain it more, which kind of sucks maybe. But I, I liked this as like a standalone where like none of it's defined and it's pretty open for interpretation. Yeah, yeah. I also thought like it was, uh, even though it was, some of the writing was pretty bad, like it was well directed in terms of the pacing and the way each scene was laid out and the shots and the tension and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It was. Like it was, it was a tense, intriguing movie and it was a tight 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Very well paced and and yeah, pretty like uh, it keeps you going and like with each cube they're walking into, like you keep like thinking like the sense of dread or something's gonna happen. And I thought that was very effective. Right, and it, I mean it. It didn't get that monotonous either for just the whole entire plot <laughs> being going from one identical looking cube into the next. Yeah, that that's a feat. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I thought a lot of the math stuff, like even though it got to be like above my head, obviously, but I thought it sounded pretty legit. Whatever they were doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was intriguing and compelling. I wanted I wanted to learn more math. Yeah, <laughs> it's motivating. It kind of reminded me of like puzzle type video games too. So yeah, it, it was engaging for that reason. <laughs> like a numbers cruncher or something. Like a. There was this game that Elliot Thomas used to play called Portal. Oh, that sounds really familiar. Yeah, you just, like, the whole premise, like, the simplest level would be, like, you were in a room with an upper level. Yeah. And you could see it, but there was no way to get up there, and your character could shoot two portals, like, you'd go in one and out the other. So you'd put, like, a hole in the wall on the lower level and shoot a hole in the wall up to the top level, and then you'd go in that hole and come out on top. Oh, okay, okay. That's pretty cool. But it got crazy complicated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, physics, man. Yeah. It's crazy. It's cool. Um, anything else? Should I read uh, read Matt's comments and then we can give our ratings? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. Matt wrote a small book here, so bear with us. <laughs> uh, let's see. Okay, so he says, Let me start off by saying that Cube is no masterwork of horror, but it is an underrated Canadian movie, in my honest opinion. It has an original premise, suspense, intrigue, decent character development, and one might even say a hint of social commentary. The acting is not top-notch, but I think it serves. I imagine the budget was dirt cheap as the set is literally a single room. What I think the movie does well is provide a sense of claustrophobia that you might get from movies like Alien, The Descent, or The Thing, where you follow a small group of characters in close quarters with ever-present danger. 
then people start to turn on each other. At its best, it speaks to the darker side of human nature, especially when you consider the cube is constructed by humans and is not some otherworldly monster. Some horror fans might not appreciate the lower body count, but when the kills come, they are brutal, as we see from the very opening scene. Fewer still might not like that very little is explained about the existence of an extravagant labyrinthian cube of death, and I get that. It's unrealistic, but also, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Uh, This movie did Traps Before Traps were popularized by the likes of the Saw franchise, and are there enough movies featuring traps for it to be a subgenre? I think so. I think that's weird. Kind of trying to get at that. Yeah, totally. Um, if so, I think this movie is a prime example. Anyway, Cube always stuck with me as an entertaining and underappreciated movie, so I thought it would be perfect to share and discuss with my friends. Right. Lastly, here's a freebie Ohio connection for you. In 2012, Cleveland's Museum of Contemporary Art was constructed right across from the hospital where I work. But is it really an art museum, or is it a way to lure hipsters to their doom inside a giant maze-like Rubik's Cube of death traps? And then... <laughs> He enclosed a picture, and it's a pretty intimidating, cubic-looking Oh, really? (laughs) I got to go uh, see that again. I I forgot what that looks like. Yeah, I've never been to it. Yeah. (laughs) Makes sense, though. Your pal, Matthew. (laughs) So thanks, Matt. That's that's, uh, great stuff. I think we're kind of on the same page, right? Yeah, I feel like that resonated a lot with what we said. Right. It's definitely something that deserves to be seen, even for some of its lackings. Yeah, interesting. Uh, his comments about it, like maybe not being a traditional horror movie. Uh, what, what do you, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I, it always gets a little murky, I guess, with the definition of horror. But I think it's a horrifying premise, and right off the bat, to see somebody fall into like a hundred bloody pieces, kinda, yeah, I, I feel like that's enough. Yeah, and like with this like ominous fear of like death the whole time with each door you open. Uh, that, right. that feels like pretty horror to me. And I, li- I like that in a movie, and I think it does like definitely call it out as a horror movie when some of the worst gore or like worst death you see is right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because like then it lets you know, like, all right, this is, these are the stakes. That's true, yeah. Kind of like starts at high gear. Right, like, yeah, I mean, and, yeah, a movie is supposed to escalate and events are supposed to get bigger and matter more, but like... Mm-hmm. They still did. Like, the drama escalated. Like, you didn't know that character. It was just yeah, gore. And, and, you know, you know, you saw what happened to some dude you don't know. Now what could happen to these people that you do know? Yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. it makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah, it kind of, like, gets the scare, like, right there at the beginning, and then it's about adding in the human elements on top of that. Right, and kind of like, uh, I mean, the opening to Scream was a lot longer, and you kind of carried about Drew Barrymore's character by the end of that scene, but that's right. a an example in my mind of just like, wow. Like, yeah. This is why you should be afraid of, of Ghostface. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be like a formula for a lot of horror movies. Like they do the kill up front and then, then you're like building a story around it, but it's like the same type of killer threat that's coming for the characters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Makes oh sense. yeah, very common. Yeah. Um. Okay, so uh, zero out of five shirt buttons stuck in your trachea. What do you give this? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I think I agree with everything uh, your friend said. Uh, it, it was a very fun watch, so I'd, I'd give it three and a half uh, shirt buttons stuck in my trachea. How about you? Yeah, same, three and a half. Like, there were times where I was almost angry at the dialogue and the characters and the acting, but it was such an intriguing premise. And I, yeah. I watched it in chunks, which I know sounds crazy to some people, but I was, like, thinking about it when I wasn't watching it, and I was excited to get back to it. Yeah, it sticks with you. It's a very original premise. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, just that premise alone, like, and the fact that they nailed the setting so well, I think, really brings it home. Like, right. you can tolerate some some poor acting and dialogue. Right, especially with like such a low budget. Like, that's impressive. Yeah, for sure. Yep. Cool. Got anything else, man? No, that's all I got. All right. Well, that is all for our episode on Cube. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, you can give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show, and we very much appreciate it. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on our website, horrormovieclub.com, under social links. Uh, or you can shoot us an email at podcast.horrormovieclub.com. We announced the movie we're going to cover next week on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we've got a Discord server. You can just hang out and chat with us and other fans of the show and of horror movies. Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart, so check out her horror and other art on Etsy.com. Just look up Amy Mae Popart. And until next time, if you find yourself trapped in a maze-like cube mechanism with five strangers with no food and water, instead of sucking on a button, uh, just eat those idiots. <laughs> For real. Find the fart monster and eat that. <laughs> yeah. That's going to taste pretty good. Yeah. Got to be big. Yeah. <laughs>